What's up, South Point? My name is Kenny. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Glad to be joining you. Those of you that are online, we're glad to be hanging out with you guys, too. If this is your first time here, we're just happy you're here. You know, there are times in my life, maybe you felt like this, when you get home and you're, you're just exhausted, whether you just had a bad day, maybe you're, you're physically exhausted, whatever, you just, just feel like sitting on a couch. So I was telling Brett about this a couple years back. I said, it's funny how things pop into your mind that you wouldn't expect, like commercials. And he says, what do you mean? I said, you remember that Celebrex commercial that says a body in motion tends to stay in motion, but a body at rest tends to stay at rest? I think about that when I'm sitting on a couch, you know, get your butt up, it'll get moving. And he goes, no, but you know that's Newton's first law of motion, right? <laughs> I never put it together. I felt so stupid. But if we don't have a clear and accurate picture of who Jesus is, we can make uninformed or even bad decisions on what to do with him, right? So during this series, we're going to look at eight 4K moments of who Jesus is and what that means for us. And if you miss any of those messages, man, I just encourage you to go back and check them out. You can go on the website, you can look them up, watch them online, or you can even listen to the podcast. Something you don't think about is that Jesus was a hard worker. Before his ministry, he was a carpenter, which meant he was typically working with stone and, and maybe even a little bit of wood. His father, Joseph, likely died when Jesus was, was younger and he was still at home. And Jesus would have, had, would have been the oldest child of the family, right? He probably did a lot for his family, and he probably didn't have the, the best earliest childhood. So let's fast forward to the adult years, right? During his three-year ministry, he would often stay past dark just to teach and to heal. He was literally on call 24-7. He was on his feet more than he was off his feet. And it's estimated that Jesus walked 3,125 miles just during his three-year ministry. And to kind of put that in perspective, from the East Coast to the West Coast, from sea to shining sea, it's about 2,800 miles. For those of you that keep track of your steps, that's seven million steps. He didn't have walking and running shoes. He didn't have old man sketchers, and he certainly didn't have any Dr. Soul's arch supports. This guy was tireless, even though he wasn't tireless. He was human, right? He would have experienced being tired. He would experience blisters and cramps and exhaustion. I mean, he was so tired at times that the Bible tells us that he literally fell asleep on a boat during a massive storm. But at the end of his three-year ministry, all that work, he was beaten, nailed to a cross. You may not think about Jesus being a hard worker. See, at this moment, Jesus and his disciples had been walking for 34 miles. That's like walking from here to Toledo. They were tired, they were hungry, and they didn't have Chick-fil-A to stop at back then. The disciples had, had gone to town and they were going to get groceries, but Jesus was still hard at work. Last week, we unpacked how Jews and, and Samaritans hated each other, and it's a lot like the, some of the racial tension that people experience today, the racial things that are going on. The truth that Jesus has is more powerful than any division that us humans have created. He went where others wouldn't go so this Samaritan woman could know who Jesus was in 4K clarity. And if you missed that message, I just encourage you to go back and check that one out. And one of the most amazing and beautiful moments of salvation and racial reconciliation had just happened. And all the apostles were just in awe of this awkward moment. They saw Jesus do something that they wouldn't have done. He talked to a Samaritan. No one dared to call attention. They just pretended like everything was normal, like nothing ever happened, and told Jesus, hey, we got some food for you, so let's go eat. You ever been in that situation, where that really awkward situation, where you, you just don't know how to respond? So you pretend like it didn't happen. You hear your mom say, clean your room. But you pretend you didn't hear it. 
Someone at work says something that's rude and it literally brings everybody to silence. See, Jesus is tired and he's hungry and he's thirsty and he knew what they were thinking. But instead of being annoyed and condescending and brash, instead of clocking out, he's still at work and he wants to use this moment to give his disciples a true 4K image of who he is. He says, I have food that you don't even realize. And right away, I'm sure they're thinking, who gave Jesus food? He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his works. He says, I have a different source of food. It's to do what God has asked me to do. God sent Jesus to work. He had a job to do and a mission to accomplish. Jesus quotes a local saying about farming, right? He says, don't you say four months till the harvest? So there was roughly four months between the time they planted wheat and the time they harvested wheat. And when the tips of wheat, especially barley, got ripe, they turned white. It meant they were ready to harvest. He's probably pointing towards town while saying this. And there's probably people that are walking to meet him, and more than likely they're dressed in white clothing. And he says, look, the harvest isn't four months away. The harvest is here. The harvest is now. It's all around you. The work is saving souls. That's why our big idea is God has hired us for the best job ever. See, this Samaritan got a 4K image of Jesus, and she didn't go into retirement. She went to work, which is exactly what Paul, a disciple of Jesus, later said about the gospel. He said, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, we are saved by grace for good works. And this is very, very important, and I want to make sure you understand this. We are not saved by works. We are not saved by good works. We are not saved by anything that we've done. We are saved for good works. The Christian life is not retirement. Disciples of Jesus go. They go to work. See, God has saved us from something, but he's also saved us for something. See, we willingly accept the from, don't we? But have you accepted the for? See, we love the forgiveness. We love the peace and the grace and the love and the hope, right? But much like employers are experiencing in our own times today, Too many Christians want the benefits without having to do the work. What good works? Jesus is not unclear in any way, shape, or form about our responsibilities. He gave us very clear marching orders. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of age obeying all he has commanded and making disciples. What about you? If you're a Christian, as long as you're breathing, you are on the clock. Have you accepted the from? Probably. But have you accepted the for? Have you been working? And maybe you were never told this. Maybe you didn't understand this. No sweat. You weren't alone. The disciples didn't get it either. The disciples went to town to get groceries and and would have seen a lot more Samaritans than Jesus would have. But they didn't realize that they were on the clock because they didn't see the harvest. So how do we do this? Jesus told us, and in this passage, he actually shows us 
three things that we need to know, the who, the what, and the how. Earlier when Jesus said, go to all nations, it is literally translated as you are going. So wherever you go, whatever you do, anytime you're doing something, make disciples. Literally everybody in the world needs to know about Jesus. So there is no one that is exempt from hearing God's word, right? There's nobody exempt from you to share this with. But we see here that the gospel typically goes fastest with the people that we know. A couple of weeks ago, a young lady gave her life to Christ in baptism. And there's a story behind it. A couple from South Point developed a relationship with a young man and they started talking to him and having conversations about Jesus and they invited him into their group to learn who he was. So this guy starts going regularly and soon invited other friends. The young lady that got baptized was one of his friends. That couple probably never would have ever touched base with her, never been able to tell her about Jesus. But the friend who brought them did. See, the gospel often travels fastest with those we know. Listen, I get the excuses. Well, I just don't know any non-Christians. Really? You may not be close to very many non-Christians, but I guarantee you, you know some. Either way, here's a tool to help you find the opportunities. Write down a list of names of anybody you have a connection with. Try to get at least 100 names. Make that your goal. Write out 100 names. Let's be honest, you probably got more than that friends on Facebook, right? Maybe you went to school with them. Maybe you take a class with them. Maybe you work in the same building. Maybe you go to lunch together. Maybe you take a class together. Maybe they're a friend or a coworker, or your best friend or a friend of a friend. Could even be a family member. Not people you've never met, but people you know. But not just people you know really well, anybody that you know. Make a list of names. Write them out, type them out, do whatever. Then make a note of which ones you know are Christians and which ones you know are not. And which ones you're not sure about. And that's a lot of who, right? Especially those whom the gospel will probably go fastest with. Those are the ones you know. But what do we do once we know the who? Jesus says your part is to obey. When you obey, live like Jesus because you're being the light of the world. When you choose to disobey Jesus, it's like putting a cover over a light. The value and the power of that light is then taken away, right? One of the biggest complaints from non-Christians is that most Christians are hypocrites. We talk about Jesus, but we don't look or act anything like him. Listen, nobody can be perfect, but that doesn't mean we don't strive to do so. That doesn't mean people are going to walk away going, wow, I like the way he walks. I need to give my life to Christ. But even if they don't, the point is they could, right? So what's our first job? Our first job is to obey everything he has commanded us to do and not do. The other part is to make disciples, to be a sower and a harvester. Jesus sowed seeds while the disciples were getting food. And now the disciples are out to help reap what they didn't sow. The woman is now telling everybody in town she's sowing seeds. And Jesus is about to reap the harvest of the seeds that she sowed. See, the sower and the harvester are both essential. And they're both rewarded equally. And they're both there for the same purpose, to reap a harvest of eternal life. And I get the excuses. I hear them all the time. They won't believe me. I can't change them. I can't make them believe. I don't have the right words. 
we use that as an excuse to not do our part. But we need to be 100% on this. All of these excuses confuse our role with God's role. See, it's not my job and it's not my role to save somebody. It's not my role to make somebody believe, to say the exact right words, or to even change them. It's not even my part or my role to make them listen. We can sow and we can reap, but we cannot save anybody. God does that. However, we can tell people about Jesus. We can tell people that Je- what Jesus has done in our lives. We can tell people what God's word says. We can love people even when they're different, even when they're mean, even when they're rude. And we can serve people even when they don't deserve it. See, we need to be very clear on the differences between God's part and our part. Because we are held responsible for our part. The who is anyone and everyone. The what is to live an obedient lifestyle and to tell people about Jesus. Tell them what he's done in our lives and what God's word says. The Samaritan lady didn't think about her past life. She didn't look at her past life. She didn't look at her reputation and think everybody's going to laugh at me. She didn't know everything. And maybe she didn't say it the right way. Maybe she didn't use the right words. But she met Jesus and went to work telling other people about it. And telling people what he did in her life. She did her part and pointed them towards Jesus. And look what happened. It says, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. See, the Samaritans went to Jesus because of this woman's testimony. She was freshly saved. After hearing his word, they come to realize who he is and truly believe that he is the Savior of the world. And there's a direct similarity between the Samaritans in this passage and the nobleman at the end of this passage. See, the nobleman must have believed what he heard about Jesus because he walked more than 20 miles from Capernaum to Cana. And that's about the distance between here and Luna Pier. To ask Jesus to come to his home and save his son. But Jesus says, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. I need you to understand this. Jesus said, no, I'm not coming to your home. Jesus denies this guy's request to come to his home. But he says, your son will live. And the man chose to believe Jesus at his word. He had heard about Jesus, but now he heard the word of Jesus for himself. And he took and he accepted Jesus at his word. And not only was his son healed at that very moment, but many lives were saved because he went to work telling other people about Jesus. See, we got we to point people to God's word. They may believe about him after hearing us, but it's his word that transforms, empowers, and saves. We do our, our part, but then we get to rejoice in watching God do his part. So will you start showing up to work? See, once you realize what your job is, now we have to do the how. How do I begin to show up? 
the best way to see what Jesus sees and be empowered to do his job is to pray for the harvest. Are you praying regularly for people to come to know Jesus? And that you can be a coworker with God to make a disciple? And by regularly, I mean daily. That's why you make a list of 100. So you have names of people who you're literally praying for over and over and over again. Make a commitment for five or 10, that's it. Pray for a week or so and ask God to give you a clear image or to give you wisdom to know who on that list of 100 you should be praying for daily. Help, ask him to help you pick out five or 10 people. Give you the wisdom to figure out who it is and then make a commitment for a period of time, three months, 12 months, that's up to you. To try to do your part to help them to become a disciple of Christ. Then you commit to doing four things. Number one, pray for them daily. Seems pretty self-explanatory, right? You're going to pray for lots of people, hopefully over the next 12 months. But these five or ten people, you're going to commit to praying for every single day. Set a reminder in your phone. Set a reminder in your calendar. Do whatever you have to do. But remember to pray for those five people every day. Number two, get to know them relationally. You're going to meet and learn about a lot of people over the next 12 months, right? But you're going to make a commitment to get to know these people relationally. Spend time with them. Could be messages. Could be texts. Could be phone calls if there's a distance between you. If not, it could be in person. Get to know their stories. Ask them how you can pray for them. Get to know their issues. Ask them if there's things you can be praying for. And add those to your prayer list, your daily prayer list. And pray for them and follow up with them. There is nothing cooler than seeing somebody's reaction when you, when you mention something they asked you to pray for. Number three, tell them your story and why you're a Christian. Create a time to let them know that you are, a, you are a Christian and why. And this is directly from 1 Peter 3.15. It says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This doesn't say you have to have the answer to every single question they're going to ask. But you should be able to answer why you're a Christian. Why you have your hope in Christ. All Christians should be ready at any moment to give a one-minute answer as to why they said yes to Christ. Why I still place my faith in Jesus. Ask them if you could share your story and how you became a Christian. Sometimes it could be the same conversation over and over again, right? But it may not be. But make sure you ask them if you can. And don't wait years. And four or five go together. Share the gospel and an invitation to follow Jesus. At some point, sooner or later, share the gospel with them. See, your story is not the gospel. Your story is great, but not what they need. Don't leave people without the gospel. Here is a simple way to share it. You can even illustrate it on a napkin or a piece of paper. It's called the four facts of life. Everybody seen these? They're all over the building. Right? Grab some of these. Number one, God loves you. God created you individually. He knows everything about you and he loves you. He is not out to get you. He loves you and he wants to fix the brokenness that you see in the whole rest of the world and you see in yourself. Number two, 
Sin separates us from God. That brokenness is in effect sin. When I do something to disobey God, and all of us know that we've done things that we're embarrassed about or the things that we regret, that actually separates us from God because he is perfect and he is holy. All of us try to fix that brokenness in all kinds of things, in all kinds of ways, whether it's careers or accomplishment or being the best parent, getting the best grades, drugs, alcohol, relationships, sex. But nothing can fix that brokenness. Even when I sin, he still loves me. And he wants to have a relationship with us. So number three, Jesus offers a right relationship with God. He lived a perfect life. And he died an innocent death on the cross and was raised from the grave to cover that gap that I created. To fix the brokenness in my life. It's a gift from God and it's called grace. And if you want it, you can get it. Number four, you must follow Jesus. It's not by doing something, it's by knowing Jesus. When you understand that you are in need of help, when you are in need of saving, and you realize that Jesus is God, the Messiah, and he came to cover that gap that I created, you must follow Jesus. But how? Believe, repent, and be baptized. That simple. Believe that you need saving. Believe that Jesus is God, he rose from the grave, and he paid your debt. Repent. That word literally means stop what you're doing, turn around, run 180 degrees in the other direction. It means to feel remorse, conviction from my disobedience, to say I'm sorry, to agree to not do those things again, to not do things my way, but to follow Jesus and be baptized. Baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and eternal life. But finally, always follow up with an invitation. They may reject it. They may laugh at it. And maybe they'll say, I'm not sure. Maybe they'll say, not yet. Maybe they'll say, I'll think about it. But what if they say yes? You could also invite them to talk more about it with you, right? To come to your group or to, your weekend ser- to the weekend service. Maybe you take them to lunch afterwards and have a talk. Those four facts of life cards are all over this building. Grab some so you can hand them out when you're talking to people. And maybe that's you. Just like the Samaritans, you realize that Jesus truly is the Savior of the world. And you realize that you're ready to believe in his word, to repent and be baptized. And if that's you, man, we have made it so simple. All you got to do is text your name to 734-304-7248 or shoot us an email at next at southpointccc.com. The number and the email is on the screen. Let us know. Text or email us so you you can even come up front during the next song and talk to one of the decision coaches. They will pray with you. They will help you. They'll try to answer any questions you have. But it's not their job to save you. But they'll show you how. And if you are a Christian already, are you ready to go to work? You should have got a card when you came in today. And there are four commitments on it. And there's five lines to write them down with the names of the five people that you're going after. We handed those cards out last September as well. I don't know if you remember that. Maybe some of you are still praying for those people. Hopefully you are. And my hope is you got to see God do his part too. But right now, let's commit to going to work. I'm going to give you a little while to pray. Just a few seconds. 
asking God to convict you and to give you some names to start that list. Names of people that you know have not accepted Christ as their Savior. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds now. And I'm telling you, you can do this. And more importantly, you have been commanded to do this. You've been hired and empowered. Will you show up to work next year? Will you show up to work for the next 12 months? As a Christian, one way to respond right now is through the taking of communion. It's a simple meal and a reminder of what Jesus did. Jesus is God, and he came to where you are because he cares deeply about you. He came and he experienced injustice so that you could experience his grace and through his grace, the freedom of sin. When you came in, pick up your communion at the doors. The bread is a reminder of his body, which is broken for us, and his juice is a re- the juice is a reminder of his shed blood. But just a little word of advice, eat the bread first so it's not as sloppy when you tip it over. If you're not a Christian, take some time. Share in this time. Maybe, maybe prayer. Or maybe even come forward. Talk to somebody up front. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the things that you've done in our lives. Thank you for the things you're doing in this church. Thank you for the things that you're doing in this community. But I ask you to be with us so that we can quit being so lazy. Be with us so these bodies can stay in motion for you. Be with us so that we can remember that any place we go, we are to make disciples. Anything we do, we are to make disciples. Our job is to always be making disciples. And sometimes we forget that. I do too. I ask you to be with us so that we can live the lives like you, so that we can be that light that shines so that others can see, so that they're willing to listen to the the gospel. I ask you to be with everybody in here so that they can take the time to make that list and figure out who those five or ten people are that they should pray for. Father God, I ask your Holy Spirit to fill this place so that those names can come to their mind. In Jesus' name, amen. While the music plays, you can come forward to meet some of these people if you'd like, or you can just take communion.